Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Campionato di calcio italiano. Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and joining me from behind his blue and white striped mug is Nicholas Carroll. Nick, welcome along. Hello, everyone. It's uh, been a, another big week of Serie A, some upsets, some thrashings, and it wouldn't be Italian league without some controversy around the referees. So, a lot to get into it, and hopefully, we can get through one podcast without mentioning. One Papa Gomez without that mention just then. Right, you've seen the running order. You know that's not going to happen. And I know you're pretty keen to talk about him, so don't try and put this all on me. <laughs> um, I'm in particularly good form today because after a long time, we are welcoming back Luca Bloody Gumby. Luca, welcome along. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's that long a time, maybe just a couple of weeks, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah excited, to, excited to discuss more Serie A where you have all these mid-table teams on the beach battling out for not very much at all. But you had the derby, you had some interesting stuff, a few big games. So let's crack on. Yeah, well, two weeks without speaking to you is far too long for my liking, Luca. Um, yeah, so just remember that if you do like what we do here on Forza Italian Football, you like the podcast, the YouTube channel, that you can help us out a little bit by pledging a dollar or two a month to our Patreon account. Anything you can give is extremely helpful to us. And to do that, just go to patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football. Right, guys, we're going to start things off on a, a disappointing note, really, this week. And I'm sure most of our listeners and viewers will be aware that Sully Montari was the victim of some racist abuse this weekend against Cagliari for Pescara. Uh, basically, a couple of fans were abusing him throughout the game. Um, he noticed that one of these was a little kid. He went over to the kid who was sitting with his parents and gave the kid his shirt, he said, to act as an example for the kid because his parents weren't doing it. And then went back to the referee, reported the issue. The referee didn't stop the game, didn't do anything about it. The referee, in fact, gave out to Montari for approaching the stand and then yellow carded him for dissent, which led Montari to walk off the pitch and... Pescara finished the game with 10 men. Um, Luca, I'll come to you first. This is obviously something we see in Italian football far too often. Um, what do you think needs to be done to actually put an end to it? Yeah, obviously it is something that you, you do see coming up quite regularly with Spanish or Italian football as well, like quite regularly and is obviously unpleasant, especially when it's getting to the, the stage where like these players who are professionals can no longer ignore and they're, they're reacting. It's just very hard because like, obviously football isn't 
something that just kind of exists in its own vacuum. It's not something that's just linked to, to football, obviously. It, it comes from somewhere else. Like, if it's a kid with his parents, like, obviously that's just terrible, like, parenting, poor manners, like, without even, like, going into a kind of a political, like, tangent. It's just obviously unacceptable. But at the same time, I, I don't really see what you can what you can do about it. Like, the, the football authorities will obviously like be investigating fining and probably i don't know stadium closures you have that kind of thing but uh, i don't know it seems like kind of in a way it's a it's a, a battle that, that you can't really win like it's, it just depends on society on the wider kind of basis it's not it's not just limited to football obviously uh, football people behave differently they'll be more kind of abusive rude than they would in their their day-to-day life, I suppose, like you get people being racist at football matches who aren't necessarily racist, but it's just, it's just I don't know, it's like obviously you have to punish it whenever it occurs, but I don't think there's any kind of golden solution. Obviously FIFA got rid of its uh, anti-racism task force was, was probably a mistake saying that their their mission had been won, but obviously you kind of need these bodies, but no matter what they do, there's no, there's no obvious solution. It's kind of always going to, unfortunately happen and there's always going to be these kind of incidents where you can just sort of punish them and try and get rid of people who found guilty of them but other than that I don't really see a, a way to stop it permanently. Yeah Nick, Luke is probably right that it is a more societal issue but in terms of football do the FOGC just need to start handing out stadium bans? I know for repeated offences even because Calgary it's a few years ago now but they their supporters have previous for abusing. I think it was Samueletto against Inter. He mm. might be more familiar with that. But yeah. like in football terms, what do you think people need to do to try and eliminate this if possible? Yeah, it's it, there's no doubting it's it's a very difficult issue to take on. And it is very much a, a greater societal issue. Um, you might argue, particularly in countries like Italy, but I know this this kind of thing has just seems to keep cropping up every season and Sedia makes the news for all the wrong reasons once again. And yes, it is difficult, but I mean you can't you can't just keep going on like this. Like this it's 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 not acceptable in football, let alone in well, in any kind of life. It's I don't understand how every every level of management just continues to go through this charade without really trying to deal with it you know i understand it's very difficult and there as lucas said there is no golden solution but something needs to be done to at least try and quell it to put some kind of strategy in place to put some some policies some regulations some and actual some real punishments because this is absolutely ridiculous what sally montari had to go through is beyond a joke and for him to actually get a yellow card when he is going to the referee for for one. Actually, is a regulation that is in place in Serie I believe, where the referee, when he does hear of any racist chants or anything, is supposed to um, support the official, and then they are supposed to make a call as to whether the game goes ahead. And it seemed like there was no kind of consultation like that in that game. So, for one, the referee was completely out of line in that match. I think Salimantari was completely in his rights to walk off the pitch. And unfortunately, football is in a place where these players need to take that kind of action to actually be done because it needs to start at that level for any kind of flow-on effect to take place. I mean, after the match, uh, Pescara's coach, um, Zeman, actually said, while he sympathised, his exact quote is, Mantari has abandoned the pitch because of racist chants but we should not take justice into our own hands. If Sully Montari doesn't take it into his own hands, no one else is doing it for him. And that, that's, that's the biggest shame of this for football because, uh, you know, the clubs aren't doing anything. The Liga Serie A or the Italian Federation isn't doing anything and FIFA certainly aren't, isn't doing anything. So why shouldn't Montari take that into his own hands? If actually, and this is a football thing because FIFA can talk about that racism doesn't exist in football, but everyone knows that's a complete joke. If this is actually going to be taken seriously, it needs to happen at every level in football, starting from the players, not accepting it, 
to the crowds, the ultras that a lot of this is taking place in, they need to take responsibility. It's bullshit for them to turn around and say, well, it's just the minority that's doing it. That's crap. They, they, how many people in that group know exactly who is doing this? Of course they know. They need to help hold their own groups responsible. The club needs to hold those groups responsible, ban them, ban them, you know, where, where the ultras sit. Yes, it would take so much away from the atmosphere, but a hardline approach. And then from there, it goes to the Italian Federation. They need to be imposing fan, uh, some kind of bans or fines. Well, no, fines do nothing. That bans or even points, point deductions down the line on clubs. And then it goes down to FIFA, where FIFA should be putting some kind of regulations on their, each of the federations for them to show that they've actually got a plan in place to tackle this issue. Every step, there should be a plan and there should be someone accountable. And at this moment, there's, that doesn't exist at all in football. And it's a change in football until that happens. So, yes, it's an incredibly difficult issue to tackle, but... You know, it's it's enough of just standing aside and just, you know, hoping that society will eventually change. Something needs to actually be done. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate, but it does seem unlikely that the those in a, a position of authority will actually do anything about it because was it last year or the year before when Carlo Tavecchio, just before he was going for re-election as president, he described, I think it was black players, as monkey or banana eaters, wasn't it? Something along those lines. Uh, he, 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 it was a fictional Lazio player called Opti Poba, who was eating bananas one day in Africa and then signed up by Lazio in Syria. That was, that was the thing. And then he had um, uh, a FIFA ban as a result of that, yeah. Right. Well, when you've got people like that in charge of the association supposed to be responsible for dishing out these bans, it's a horrible situation to be in because it's unlikely that anything is going to really happen of note um it's a shame to kick the podcast off on a note like that again as we seem to have to do regularly enough but it's one of those things about italian football that desperately needs fixing um we'll move on to the, the football now um we'll kick things off with the derby della capitale um roma once again lost to lazio it had been some time since lazio beat roma in the league i think it's been about four and a half, five years. But it looks like the tide is beginning to turn in the Eternal City. Uh, the Bianca Celesti have now beaten them in the Coppa Italia semi-final. I know Roma got a win in the second leg, but Lazio still went through. And now they've beaten them 3-1 in the league. Nick, we were there the last time these two played. Roma won, but they didn't really, did they? they it was a bad performance and Lazio still got the job done. Do you think that the foundations are now in place with Simone Inzaghi and Lazio for the Bianco Celesti to finish ahead of Roma next season. Um, it's it's a bit of a, a nice romantic thought for the, the I guess the perceived uh, little brother in Rome at the moment to to beat Roma next season. I, I wouldn't go that far just yet. Um, you know, Roma are still second in the league. Um, but, you know, not to say that, I mean, you, you're exactly right that Simone Inzaghi has started to build that framework and that team. And I think that's, that's the key difference between now and when they had that season with uh, Stefano Pioli when they did finish third. It seemed like that season, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if anyone, you know, others might disagree, but to me it felt like that in the moment, it felt like somewhat of a one-off where, now, okay, they're they're in fourth and they're likely not to finish higher than that. But it feels like they're actually building something. There's a structure there. There's a framework there. And you, and you have to love what Simone Inzaghi is doing there. So if he can um, keep a lot of the talent there and continue to build, then they, they'll, I'm sure they'll give it a good crack. But at the moment, I think Roma should probably deserve to remain favourites for next season, given the, the talent that they have and what you'd assume would, would be a bigger budget um, in the off-season. I would, however, say if Roma do um, lose the likes of Costas Manolas in defence, and if that defence is actually broken up, then I'd probably 
put the money on Lazio to to beat them because um, that's, I guess, the biggest difference for Roma this season is that their defence has been somewhat consistent, which it hasn't been for a long time. And if it's not, then, you know, all hell breaks loose again. So, yeah, You spoke about, like, the future there, obviously, and one promising sign that Lazio have for the future is Keita Balde. He scored twice in the derby. He was brilliant. Um, one of our comments that's coming live from Abdul Baheli. We always get names that I can't pronounce popping up in the comments. Apologies for that, Abdul. But um, he wants to know our thoughts on Keita's bold evolution from a La Masia misfit to the derby hero. Um, Luke, I'll bring you in. What What are your thoughts on Keita Balde? Yeah, I think it's it's been clear for a while that he's a uh, He's certainly a good player, and he seems to fit him very well at Lazio. They seems they they've sort of taken to him as one of one of their own in a way. After he came in from Barcelona, where he never really got that much of a chance. It's just that kind of direct nature that he plays the way he just runs at runs at teams and gets shots away early. It's just it's, it's very simple, straightforward football. But you, he's still young, and he, he now that derby looked very very dangerous. Like Roma could have conceded more. They did look very open when he was just running directly at the, the back line and he, yeah, he just all around seems like a very good player like uh, just brings something different that kind of just fast rapid style of play it's perhaps not necessarily like worried too much about getting back and uh, just building from deep positions and then linking up with Felipe Anderson as well he can do the same thing it's all all very very good and, and yeah he should have a bright future at the I think there was a few issues in the past about sort of contract disputes but if they can sort of keep on to him, keep him happy. And he looked happy when he was celebrating under the, the cover against Roma that they've certainly got a player there. If they can just sort of hang on to him, he doesn't do so well that the next thing, the next step in his development is to to move to a bigger, more wealthy club. Yeah, I'm going to throw it open to the two of you now, a little quick question. Can either of you name the last player to score twice in a derby for Lazio? No, I'm taking that as a no. Just dead air isn't great, guys. Come on. <laughs> no, no one's coming to mind. What it kind was, of period are we, are we talking? I'm, ju- I'm just going to give you the answer. It was Roberto Mancini, which shows how well Keita is doing there. Nick's clearly surprised. Um, Nick, you're a fan of Diego Perotti's penalties, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, did you see Daniela De Rossi's attempt at recreating them? Yeah, not a fan. You're not a fan, no? I thought you liked those penalties. God, they annoy me. God. And you know what annoyed me more? The way he... Oh, did you, I don't know if you saw his celebration. But yeah, he yeah. went... You know, it was probably, I guess, you know, you can understand the moment in the derby, but... Jeez. It's um, the wrong yeah, I, 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 coming out. Like, yeah, What's wrong with that? That's what you want. That's what you're tuning yeah. for. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Just the way he goes, the penalty. Just hit it. Just I hate that. And, and goes and kick. He kicked the bloody microphone or whatever it was on the sideline harder than he kicked the ball for the penalty. He scored, didn't he? Yeah, well, luckily, luckily. No. What well, I'm not having that. He scored a penalty, and, and you're giving out. What? Why? Why are you giving out? He scored the penalty. What's the problem with the technique? I just. Uh, t- it's just not a good technique. <laughs> I just don't like it. it. He didn't. He let's be honest. He did not execute that well at all. He hit it into the ground, really, and it was just lucky the keeper could be caught out by it. I don't. I don't think it was good technique or anything. It wasn't. It was nowhere near like how Perotti would take it. So, um, and maybe I'm just more frustrated at the point that it wasn't actually a penalty. So. Yeah, that was a, an absolutely embarrassing dive Strutman. At one stage, I thought he was actually going to apologise for it because when he went down, he seemed to realise, yeah. oh, no, that's going to be one of those things. Um, we have another comment in the live section. Keep them coming, guys. It's kicking off quite nicely. But who would be a good candidate to take over at Roma if Spalletti is to leave? Nick, I'll stick with you. You're quiet enough for your standards today. Anyone jump to mind? Oh, to take over Roma. Um, you know, we're talking about like um, options to take over Juventus if Allegri was would go, and 
I can't really, we, we struggle to think on and there, there isn't a lot out there that, um, yeah, maybe Luca, you might know. I, I can't think of someone that kind of suits Roma straight away. Uh, well, seeing as you've got Monchi coming in behind the scenes and Unai Emery struggling a bit at PSG, you could get the old Sevilla dream team back at Roma, try and build something for the future, get kicking on in Europe. That's not a bad chat, actually. I hadn't considered that, but that would be, it, I don't know if great's the right word, but it would be nice to see Monchi and Emery teaming up together in Italy. Hopefully they could make Roma actually do something in Europe, um, even a Europa League win, which the two seem fond of. Well, if you've nothing else to add about the derby, guys, we'll move on to the next game, I guess. Um, Nick, you might want to take out your earphones now because we're going to enter nil Napoli 1. Um, the Parthenope are back to within a point of Roma in the chase for the second and final automatic Champions League spot. Nick, put your earphones back in, please. Um, the race isn't over. And if we just look at the two teams' remaining fixtures, it's it looks like it might swing in the favour of Napoli because Roma have to play Milan away, Juve at home, and then they've got Chievo and Genoa. So fair enough. And Napoli have Cagliari, Torino, Fiorentina and Samp. Luca, what are your thoughts? Who's favourite to take second place because we know what Nick thinks uh, well I think well Roma sort of tend to, to tend to let down in big games but now that they've probably got that out of the way they wouldn't be surprised to see them come win all but yeah with Napoli probably play the best team around they'll play the best football around so yeah I suppose it, it's going to be uh, pretty competitive going through but uh, like with it not really mattering matter, mattering in a way, I, I, I think I'd back Romo if there's just no no real pressure on them to just keep it going towards the end of the season. But to be honest, like personally, like I'm I'm not necessarily that interested. I, I don't think it's really that important. It's not really that exciting uh, a, a race to finish second for me. Nick, are you finished complaining? Um, well, you know, I just don't know what you want me to do. Take my headphones out, put it in. What do you want from me, Connor? You're just having a little moan in the comment section. <laughs> Lend the listeners in behind the scenes there. Um, for a minute, I thought you posted that on the public live on YouTube comments bit, and I thought you were going to show them. No, no, no. Um, Nick, you wrote scathingly about Inter last week. I think scathing is the right word about last week's piece. Mm. Did... Inter proved themselves worthy of beholding Mero Icardi's services. Did you watch the match? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I mean, the, the, the most positive thing that you can say about that match is that Inter only lost by one goal. Yes, the goal, granted, did come from <laughs> an amazing clearance from Yuto Nagatomo. Um, absolute howler. What a play. How that... How he remains in that squad is just not the squad in the lineup. Anyway, that's that's beyond the point. But you know, that aside, yes, the Napoli's one goal did come from that. So you might say, well, maybe Inter were a bit unlucky, but really, I mean, they were not even in that game. It, Napoli had all the chances. Um, you know, they didn't really have any scares or any real chances and Napoli didn't really look like they even went into second gear it was just a walk in the park for them it was just like they were on a training run and you know the one goal down for 90 you know for the for the rest of the match Inter should have been fighting there should have been well one goal we could actually steal a point here which would have been a great result but there was no fight there was no spirit and it's the same old same old stuff it's not really worth talking about the team that's not going to show any fight for the fans that continually show up to watch them so um, but yeah, Napoli um, seemed to be going well. It got a result when they weren't necessarily at their clinical best. And I'm sure they will um, finish second, as I've predicted. Yeah, they might have a bit of a problem, though, in the summer with Dries Mertens' contract situation not looking too promising. Um, I think his wife isn't too fond of living in Naples. I don't know why. It's a beautiful place. But there's a lot of interest in him from around Europe, as you would expect with his performances this season. Uh, one of those teams interested is actually Inter. Um, 
you'd obviously go for a bit of a, a sizable fee. Maurizio Sarri said that they can't afford to let him go because then it's effectively going back to year zero. A year after they let go of Gonzalo Higuain and pretty much had to start from scratch again. Luca, how big of a blow would it be for Napoli if they did lose Mertens? Yeah, it, it would be like very much this real big blow because he's really come on. He's really like become a star player. He's been there for a few years. He's really sort of acclimatized now to the environment. I think also it's just like that that kind of symbolic blow where they can't really keep on to these these star players where like and then it kind of reflects badly on the management where people will start criticizing oh it's they they're trying to be too cheap. They're not playing the not giving the players what they're worth. They they try and mess around too much with these kind of image rights in the contracts and it just sort of makes the the club not look like it's going to be a real big player in just terms of how it's how it's run. And it, it would be a shame for that, like with the way that Sarri's got them playing and just how like someone like Mertens and he's just like this kind of really attacking like live wire threat. And yeah, it would be the big blow. I suppose like on the pitch, you could kind of expect Milik to sort of take on a bigger role now that he's back fit. But I think just kind of more in terms of like the, the kind of, sort of prestige and show of kind of intent for Napoli to say that, oh, we're going to keep our best players, we're going to tie them down to these contracts. Like I think they did with Insigne recently, it kind of would sort of go back on what they've achieved there and it just sort of makes the club not look like a quite bigger, serious player, especially with kind of Inter perhaps in the future as well, trying to spend a bit more money now that they've got it coming coming in. It could kind of redress the, the balance at the top of Serie A. I, I think me and Nick both just came to the same realisation while you were speaking there, Luca. I forgot what you were saying, but I really appreciate having you back on. It's nice hearing your voice again. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners will agree. Uh, we're getting a lot of questions in about Milan. Um, again, because we will come to Milan a bit later on. But one thing that's surprised Stick me with us. is how much perseverance these Milan fans have. Because after a week when they've drawn with Cortona, they still want us to speak about their club and you're a credit to your club, guys. Keep it up. Um, but we're going to move on to... Let's, let's be honest. This is what we've all come here for this week. Um, we're going to Bergamo. We're going to talk about Atalanta versus Juventus. Well, we'll start off with Juve because, to be honest, I think Juve deserve enormous credit for just being so gritty and battling so well against the best team in Italy. Nick, thoughts? This guy's serious. <laughs> is this a joke unbelievable um, right. you're a Juve Nick. fan right apparently well <laughs> maybe not this week I might have been last week so we'll, we'll see what happens but right so La Dea they're still fifth five points ahead of Milan mm. meaning when they meet Milan in two weeks they will be ahead of them regardless of what happens this week and they are eight points ahead of your beloved Inter sorry to say it but Right, Nick, you alluded to it in the intro. Papu Gomez. Ah, did you see the pass for Andrea Conti's goal? Yeah, it's a pretty good cross. It was not. It was, a, um, it was just from nothing. Just right. We'll we'll talk about Papu for a minute. I joked earlier in the season, joked that he would win the Ballon d'Or, but in a serious note, surely he's within a shout for winning the player of the year in Serie A this year, right? Yeah, you'd think so with what he's doing at that, that Atalanta team and the way he's like the, the talisman, I suppose, Bellotti or or someone like that could uh, give him a real run for his money. But yeah, from, where, where was he in Ukraine, Kharkiv and sort of Atalanta and doing well, but but not necessarily like catching all this attention that he's done. Sorry, Look that's dog it, sorry. drinking. It's the yeah, dog your drinking. dog's back in yeah. the kitchen. Actually. <laughs> 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 right, Luca, we'll we'll leave you to it for a minute. Um, Nick, you look you love a stat. Um, Nick, just can you compose yourself, please, so we can continue the podcast until Luca's dog quenches his or her thirst. Um, we're going to keep talking about Papa Gomez. Nick, you're a fan of a stat. He yeah, has 14 that. goals and nine assists this year. And in his last five games, he's got five goals and four assists. Nothing to say, no? 
Was there a question there, or just talk? Are you protesting against me this week or something? No, it's just that. That's good. Um, that's good. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> if Mauro Icardi had done that this year, Mauro Icardi has twenty-four goals and eight assists. So it's Serie A. Um, yes. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This season, does it? Yeah, it does. That's really, that's really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Luca, are you ready to come back to things? <laughs> Good research. There. Yeah, yeah. Dogs, dogs out the garden now. So it's safe. Okay, uh, perfect. At least we've got an FIF mascot, I guess. But um, Nick's refusing to talk about Papagoma, so we'll move it on to Andrea Conti. Um, Mattia Caldara gets a lot of love, but Conti has seven goals this season as well. And we spoke in recent weeks about his importance, him and Spinazzola on the other side, their importance to this Atalanta team. Conti is a transfer target for seemingly everybody in the world. He was linked with the move to Napoli last year. Didn't go, said he wanted to stay for another year, but he could well go this year. Um, the future of Italian defence is bright with Caldara, Romagnoli and Rugani in the middle. Do you think Andrea Conti can be the established man on the right in the years to come? Yeah, that, that's no real reason why not with that kind of energy brings running up and down that right flank and to, to score so many goals for that. Like obviously Atalanta are quite a fluid team. They they do sort of get back and forwards. But yeah, it, it would be like interesting to see if we can make that kind of step up to 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 plan for it. And Inventor is kind of trying to sort of put a lot of faith in these kind of younger players as he looks to rebuild the team after the team sort of probably outperformed itself at the Euro twenty sixteen. But there is obviously a need for for change over these uh the next generation and obviously Atalanta have been really producing good young Italian players for, for ages even I suppose Zappa Costi have had pullbacks going through there and Conti's just the next one and yeah there's there's no real reason why he can't probably uh, kick on I suppose perhaps uh, maybe there's other fullbacks in kind of similar positions you might wonder if I don't know Darmian could go back to Italy and kind of re-establish himself in like, the Italian psyche or De Chilio or something but uh, Conti's still still young enough and that kind of goal scoring contribution is a real kind of asset that perhaps not so many fullbacks elsewhere have Nick 
I'm forcing you to talk about them. Their remaining fixtures are Udinese, Milan, Empoli, and I think it's Kievo on the last day. Fifth place is theirs. Fair? Yeah, pretty much. Um, unbelievably, because I'm pretty sure I'm quoted on this podcast earlier in the season saying that it's all, it's near impossible for them to to finish in fifth place. But um, they've completely proved me wrong. I, you know, I did not think they could keep that kind of form consistent, particularly after the likes of uh, Roberto Gagliardini had left, um, who was, you know, a, a very key part of their midfield. Um, you know, to to go into January without Frank Kessie as well, and it's it's like for it to for it to drop, and then it just kept going and going and going and. You know that that team must have a you know a lot of spirit and fight amongst them because they've and confidence, self self belief in their own talents because they they continue to turn up every single week. Um, you know, even putting aside when they did you know smash seven one, they turned up the very next week and they got back to where they were. So no full credit to them. It's they've five in my opinion quite easily and Inter and AC have left. AC Milan left scrapping for sixth, unfortunately. Yeah, for Milan fans. The contrast in form between Inter and Atalanta since that seven-one game that couldn't be, they couldn't be more opposing each other. Um, but forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I'm going to that game against Milan in two weeks, and oh my god, I cannot wait for that. It's going to be fun. Um, we'll move on to Milan now. Uh, they drew with Crotone. Uh, the Rossoneri are now with just one win in their last five games. And in Crotone's last five games, Nick, I told you we had a stat on Crotone. Mm, Crotone have picked up the same amount of points in the last five games as Juventus. Are you impressed? Um, I'm very impressed. By the stat or by Crotone? Both. Oh, um, also by Crotone, but oh, nice. all right, stat. I appreciate it. It's fine. Um, Luca, we haven't had you on a couple of weeks. We've spoken a bit about Milan, particularly. can't remember if it was last week, the week before we had Augustilla on. But basically, the, importance, the important thing for Milan this summer seems to be to keep hold, hold of Vincenzo Montella. But in terms of on the pitch, what areas do you think they need to strengthen the most? Obviously, I would say defense. Would you agree? Yeah, you would kind of expect like obviously they've got Romagnoli so they've got a centre-back that they can build around there perhaps just about giving him a partner and then I suppose kind of in a sort of similar sense to their the local rivals perhaps the full-backs as well aren't necessarily the kind of the top quality that you would want a team like that who if they're perhaps sort of got a team sitting back trying to just hold them off at the centre or something they may be could have a, a fullback who can get a bit further and just sort of deliver across in the kind of sense that Atalanta have been through. And like, I think sort of, yeah, up front, I think they're, they're okay. I don't think there's any sort of major, major lacking, like major issues there. And yeah, it, it's just the defence, obviously the goalkeeper, they got these sort of young players so they can kind of hope that if they just keep things consistent, that will also bring just natural improvement as the players develop and I think they've got quite a lot of sort of combative central midfielders so it's not necessarily need to bring anyone else like that in so yeah as, as you said I think it's just kind of that that defense and just sort of giving this this team a kind of real stable kind of base to to build around because quite a lot of the the things are the positive and sort of the club is entering a new era now with Berlusconi leaving so perhaps they don't need to start just trying to panic and like bring in all these kind of big name players, but they've got what they kind of should need moving forward. So just a few centre-backs or something and should be should be enough moving forward. I wouldn't be so quick to announce Berlusconi leaving just yet. I have a sneaky feeling he's going to be back in one way or another soon enough. I reckon that deal just, I don't know, there's a few question marks still standing over it. One of the questions we got from a listener actually comes in 
on the Milan clubs. It's from Charlie Tango on Twitter, which what a name that is. Um, it's about the Milan clubs and he wants to know which of the two will finish higher in Serie A this year and will either actually qualify for the Europa League. Nick, you can take it. Honestly, between those two clubs, <laughs> the most inconsistent, like, it's, uh, like, pick pick one. It's like, it's a complete lottery to me. I think it might very well go down to the goal difference. Um, it's, it's the... T- a squad of talent of Inter against a Milan side with much less talent, but who play with a bit more fight about them. So um, I'd give Milan the advantage purely because of the league table at the moment. But if they were even, I would probably give Inter the advantage purely hoping, basing it on the fact that, you know, the likes of Icardi will just drag them through. But um Jeez, they're both really not doing well. Um, but, I mean, f- mistake me if I'm wrong, but the six should get, um, should get the Europa League place this season given that Lazio and uh, Juventus will play in the Coppa Italia final. Yeah, absolutely. It could be just a qualification round, though. Yeah. So, yeah, it might be. Italian yeah. teams, records and qualifiers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've no idea. Um, one of the comments that's just come in live <laughs> is actually about where Milan needs to strengthen and it kind of gave me a little giggle. Um, we need a good defence and creative midfielder and a good striker. So basically everything but Gigi Donnarumma needs upgrading this summer. So another big summer ahead for Milan. Um, do you want to talk about the bottom teams again, Nick? We chat about cricket yeah. a bit but um, I might if it's alright given that there's a few Milan fans there I might just I'll mention something else about them that mm-hmm. um, while I can imagine and some of the comments are echoing that thought the frustration with that team and you know the dropping points to Crotone and Empoli's I mean that's that's got to really hurt but trying to put things into context and look in a positive view uh, Milan actually finished last season on 57 points under Sinisha Mihalovic. And already now, with four games to spare, they're on 59 points. So a new coach has come in, and with the amount of injuries they've had, yes, they don't play a good brand of football, but they've actually improved on last season. So if, <laughs> if you know... There is something there to build off. And I guess that's the the great thing about what Montella has done is he was never going to be able to play a dominant style of game because he would just get absolutely polaxed every week with that kind of midfield. But he's played a game which that, that kind of quality of team can actually produce results every now and then to the, to the point where they're actually doing better than last season. So there is something, granted they need a lot of reinforcements to build off of, but um, there's that youth there. So there is something there. There is a, a silver lining, and through Montella, uh, I can only hope for Milan's from the fans that this is the start of their, their new era that they can grow off, and obviously the new Chinese investment, they would hope that they can build a, a much stronger team off the, off the back of that, but yeah, I just thought I'd put that across. They've already actually um, beaten last year's tally by two points. So it's not all that bad. That's very optimistic from you on Milan. Which... I'm, 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 trying, I'm trying to help. I can see they're in pain. So I'm just, you know. I suppose you know the struggles that they're going through. Exactly. I, I, feel, I feel their pain. I can't really I'm relate from fifth place. But we'll cut off. <laughs> <laughs> one season up there and he's just... Yeah, so let me have one, one season. All right, all right. Um, but Crotone, they didn't win, but they did still gain ground on Empoli, who, thankfully, Sassuolo beat 3-1. So they're now four points behind them. It's 
still possible for them to stay up. Luca, we haven't got your thoughts on this. It's kind of heated up a lot in the time that you've been away. But do you think that Empoli or maybe even Genoa, who are only five points clear of Cotone, can drop down into that bottom three? Yeah, you would think that Genoa are a definite risk because they're just completely shambolic. They bring Juric back and then he, he starts crying in a press conference because he just can't understand why his team is so bad at the moment. Like losing it home to Chiesa, it's just they're just so so kind of unhappy. They just need this season to end as soon as it as possible. But then I think Empoli, Empoli's fans perhaps haven't necessarily helped their cause. They won two games on the bounce. They, after Crotone had been doing well, they kind of helped... Uh, render that meaningless with their good results but then they lose 3-1 at home to Sassuolo in a big game which was, would have been marked down as a winnable one and then uh, what's it Levan Mikaledze goes over to the uh, stadium car park afterwards and ends up getting into a scuffle with the fans where someone tries to punch him in the face and I think connects then the rest of the fans start to try and protect him so with Empoli having done quite well that's a bad result and then kind of just a negative aftertaste with that kind of off the off the pitch stuff. So yeah, it seems Crotone have all the kind of positive momentum at the minute with Empoli having done that and then Genoa have just been so consistently poor since the, the turn of the year that they're they're still at risk as they, they just look so poor that it wouldn't be inconceivable for them to, to lose every game before the end of the season. Yeah, another team down the bottom, who won this weekend. Uh, Palermo, they beat Fiorentina, of course. They did 2-0. 2-0, Palermo. Fiorentina, seriously. Um, Fiorentina are kind of just the gift that keep on giving, aren't they? <laughs> we try to give them a bit of credit, and then they go and lose to Palermo. So that is there anything to say about this other than it's a little bit funny? Um, I noticed Pal- Palermo have only won four games this season. And then I looked at teams that have beaten Fiorentina and there's Empoli, Palermo and Genoa, which three of the bottom five have beaten Fiorentina this year. Um, Nick, did, do you have anything to add about this to, at the risk of occurring the wrath of our Fiorentina fans? I mean, it's, it's not really any, it's not really subjective. You just look objectively at this game. It's 75% possession Fiorentina had against a defence that has conceded 31 goals in their last 10 previous matches. They're averaging more than three goals per game lately. And Fiorentina, with 75% possession, 13 shots in, only three of them were on target, and of their 13 shots, 10 of them were from outside the penalty box. If they cannot get into that 18-yard box against this team. Just, um, there's no words. It's absolutely atrocious. It's no, it's not good enough. And the Viola fans should be rightly angry. And it just, I think it's really at this stage, just reinforcing that um, South's time is coming to an end and they really need uh, someone to refresh that team because there is potential there, as we've discussed in previous weeks, but, I just the man to do it anymore. Yeah, I just wanted to get that in quickly because we we were nice to them last week. And I do mm. just want to add that I don't actually hate Fiorentina. I just no, I kind of find them a bit amusing from a neutral point of view when they're kind of predictably disappointing against teams like this. They, they deceive you into thinking that they're they're all right, and then they go and lose to Genoa someone Palermo, something like that. Um, before we move on to get Luca's Serie B roundup, we do have one more question from Super Pippo. Um, could be Pippo and Zaghi, who knows. With Serie A coming to an end, how would you rate Joe Hart's first season in Italy? Luca, you can give us this. Uh, do, you want a, do you want a number or... Yeah, I suppose. We'll, we'll give him a rating out of 10. I'll, I'll start with a, with a 5. Ooh. Yeah, I was, I was going to go for a 5, so I'll upgrade it to a 5.5. Seems you've taken <laughs> out. Nick, do you have a, a rating out of 10 to give Joe Hart's first season? Uh, I don't know. If, if you take it in the context of coming to a new league, 
and, you know, not speaking their language and all of that, playing with a completely new defence, I would give him maybe a six or six and a half purely based that I think his shot stopping has been quite good. It's just his reading um, of the play and the defence in terms of when to come out and when not to, I guess, align strongly with that communication and, and that, um, that um, commun- yeah, the communication with his defence. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think that's the, the the part where he's kind of come down and you can kind of understand why that is. So I, I'm not going to be too harsh on him. There's, he has made quite a few mistakes, but I think he, he's been satisfactory, let's say. Yeah, I think he does deserve credit for the way he has immersed himself in the Italian culture, really. He's always trying to speak Italian whenever he's spoken to. You know, you see a lot of players that will shy away from it. But he seems to actually really make an effort and care about learning the language, which is nice to see. He, ha- he hangs out with, like, Andrea Bellotti and stuff you see on Instagram, which is quite nice that he's not just going back to his little hotel room, probably, and speaking to his mates back at City. Um, Luca, if you're ready, we'll go to you for some Serie B action. What's happening down there? Well, there's a full round of fixtures today with it being May Day and a national holiday in Italy. And obviously the big one of them was Hellas Verona versus Vicenza, the, the Veneto derby. And uh, Vicenza had won the return leg and Verona went home today and sort of still trying to keep up in that automatic promotion hunt. And they'd had 2,000 fans at training. It was all being built up as a big match and took the lead in the first half before Vicenza came back to go 2-1 up. And then... 88 minutes gone, Vicenza is still 2-1 up, but then Verona net two at the end, win 3-2. I think it was uh, scenes at the final whistle. There was a bit of a tussle. Two players got sent off. I think one of them was probably a substitute. And it, was, uh, it was good goals as well. The, the Vicenza goal was very good. And Romolo, who was, was sort of very highly touted player in Serie A, went to Juventus, but then struggled with some injuries and is stuck with Verona since they've gone down. He, he netted the winner and it was sort of very good curling effort. So keeps it sort of going at the top. But even at the top, Spal, they drew away at uh, Spezia on the Saturday and then games on the Sunday. And Frosinone won quite comfortably 3-1 at Salernitana. So there is the possibility that there's just no playoffs at all because if Frosinone managed to finish 10 points above Perugia, the way the league works is that there's just no playoffs. They think those top three teams are, are so good that they'll just go automatically up. And it's probably now really up to, to Perugia to try and keep up the, the heat on Frosinone to stop them getting that 10-point that uh, difference between between them. And then, obviously, in terms of excitement, you will probably want the playoffs. I think some of the, the TV companies are kind of a bit concerned about the, the prospect of them not having anything in that uh regard but it would just we'll just have to wait and see how it finishes out on the pitch yeah i forgot that the serie b playoff system was absolutely mental remember the first time i came across it i was playing football manager i think i was with atalanta having gotten them relegated and i finished i was like 18th with three weeks left and i think i finished ninth and somehow ended up in the playoffs because they expanded by two teams after the season finished because the points gap wasn't big enough or something but it looks like Spaller finally are actually confirmed almost as promoted, which is amazing. Are they confirmed as promoted? It will be, I suppose, if it's three teams on. Well, they have, they have, they have six points uh, above Frosinone in third. So, and they don't, they don't seem to be letting up. They don't seem to be getting nervous. And it, like, obviously, they didn't win it, but a goal is drawing at Spencer. It's, it's not a bad result. It's, it's good enough. And they, they, you, you would really at this point with where they are, expect them to be up here. Uh, Luca, just a, sorry, Luca, just a quick question um, about Bari. Do you kind of know what's happened there? Because they, I think we spoke about them earlier in the season and they look like they were coming back and they were back up into the playoff positions. And then they've gone on a run of, I think it's one win in nine matches. Is Has something triggered this that you know of or is it, just forms just gone down the toilet because they've looked like they've just completely lost the plot there. Yeah, I think it's just, I don't think there's like been any kind of massive traumatic event there. I think they're just sort of really struggling to 
offer that much in attack and it's just I think it's just a form thing I think kind of with all these kind of different permutations of what the, the playoffs mean and they were just sort of trying to hang in at the bottom there because they, they, I think they could still theoretically do it in, from ninth if they, they win and expect to drop points they go level with them in eighth which could be the final final spot but I suppose it's kind of a it will kind of have a kind of like mental effect on them to sort of have to be concerned about what's happening in third as well just kind of the the, the distance involved with the, the different like teams in the playoffs, how how wide a kind of selection of teams can go in. But I suppose also with Bari, it's just kind of like perhaps with them being arguably one of the biggest biggest clubs in that division, it is often more difficult for them with the amount of pressure on even Verona, who are near the top and should go up and would have been expected to go. They've often been struggling, struggling to win at home. I think these kind of big clubs in Serie B can kind of struggle with the extra pressure, whereas perhaps some of the the smaller ones where there's less sort of pressure from the fans and expectation, they, they can overperform as we've seen in recent years where quite a lot of small clubs have done really well and made it up into Serie A. All right, Lucas, thanks as ever for keeping an eye on things down in Serie B. Nick, shut up, turn your mic off. We're finished. Um, as ever, if you liked the podcast, the videos, whatever, head over to patreon.com forward slash forward Italian football. Give us a dollar of your money every month and we will love you forever. Thanks to everybody who was interacting as we went in the live comments on YouTube. Um, if you just listen to us on iTunes or Acast, try us out on YouTube. You can interact and get your questions read out live as we record. Um, you can get us on Twitter at Serie FFC, Facebook and Instagram at Forza Italian Football. Head to ForzaItalianFootball.com and read the stuff. Luca is on Twitter at GumbyZono. Nick is at NickZCarroll. I'm at ConCalcio. Um, Atalanta hopefully won't slip up next week, but if they do, you won't be hearing from me. And I think that's pretty much all we have to say. Nick looks like he wants to add something. Nope. Nope. For once, he doesn't want to speak. So all that's left to say is ciao for now. sempre la più bella ed ogni volta che rintocca il campanone ho voglia di cantare questa canzone Lazio sul prato verde vola Lazio tu non sarai mai sola vola un'aquila nel cielo sempre ci fai compagnia con le bandiere al vento e un tuffo in fondo al cuore sono brividi forti e voglia di gridare perché il coro che famo tutti quanti insieme dice Lazio sei grande te volemo bene Lazio sul prato verde vola Lazio tu non sarai mai sola Azzurro nel cuore, nei colori del cielo